0: Hey everybody, this is Ariel. And I'm Kristen. And I'm LaToya. And how do we know each other? We're We're (laughs) Cousins! What's up everyone, and welcome to another episode of Bread, Fruit, and Biscuits. We have our sisters with us again on today's episode to continue our conversation on sisterhood but this discussion is centered on the challenges and things that have tested our sisterhood if you haven't listened to our first show on sisterhood please be sure to check it out please note that this episode engages largely in discussions on domestic violence and substance abuse that some may find disturbing if you or someone you care about is experiencing intimate partner violence we encourage you to seek support from the National Domestic Violence Hotline, which is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, at 1-800-799-7233. Again, that number is 1-800-799-7233. Or you can visit their website at www.hotline.org. If you or someone you care about is struggling with substance abuse, The Substance Abuse and Mental Health Administration has a national helpline that can provide you with information and referrals to local treatment facilities, support groups, and community-based organizations. You can reach them 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year at 1-800-622-4357. Again, that number is 1-800-622-4357.
1: Has there ever been a moment or a situation that tested that bond, that relationship that you had? Um, And if so, how are you able to overcome that conflict?
2: About a year and a half. So last May, so a year and a half ago. Like I've always struggled with alcohol. Always. This goes back to just having bad friends. Before I was 21, hanging out at the liquor store, like, hey, you, can you buy a bottle? You know, just stupid stuff like that but then you go to the Navy where the entire culture with the Navy mm. is drinking. Everyone drinks. So that kind of just, um, started my spiral into alcohol and just, uh, it became like a comfort zone for me. Like, a, I had to drink to feel comfortable to speak to people. I had to feel, I had to have some type of like liquid courage to go out to have conversations. To so just, it became part of my daily life. And, um, I decided to, like, go into, like, a outpatient uh, rehab place. Not rehab, but just, like, a center. And I was doing good. I was sober for a long time. I was like, oh, I've been doing good. I could control this, you know? So then I started drinking early in the morning, and I got a DUI. And I popped, like, over double of the limit at, like, 10 in the morning. And then after, I, I still kind of um, went through time periods where I would uh, not drink for a while. But then when I drink, I found out that... I'm a binge drinker so I'll drink, 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 drink and I'll feel fine for a very long time and then I'll black out and I don't even know I'm blacked out. So it's just mm-hmm. like, I'm there but it's like no one's home, you know what I mean? And I don't mm-hmm. even realize that I'm just, I'm I'm totally gone or whatever. So it's just um, like I'm I'm doing like, the whole sober so I haven't had a drink in like a month, and oh, almost a month, but it is hard being in a situation where Jake still drinks around me all the time you know? And there's even the, like the very first day I went to treatment, he still drank around me, you know, there has not been a, a single day where he hasn't. So I've just had to find the strength from within myself to be like, okay, well, I cannot let his decision to keep drinking kind of make me find, give me a reason to drink. Cause I just have to find the strength within myself to be like, okay, I'm stronger than that. I don't need to drink just cause he's drinking. And I have to allow myself not to let it be a trigger, you know, to make me spiral down, because I know once I, once like the whistle's the whistle's wet, it's it's wet. It's not gonna, you know, there's no stopping, you know, with me. So I just have to either make a decision. Like I know it's either I completely stay away from it for, you know, until I could deal with my whatever trauma that I have, or, you know, I'm gonna keep going around the same mm-hmm. roller coaster and expecting like a different turn, but it's still the same roller coaster, you know. Mm-hmm. I've talked to Ariel just about like my struggles and how to, and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where I just, I'm in awe of her ability to be sober and still be herself where I've had to feel the need to have alcohol in order to be quote unquote myself, which really is just Mm -hmm. like a cop. out, it's just an excuse. Oh, well, why are you drinking? Oh, I'm stressed. So why are you drinking? Oh, to feel comfortable. I just need to be comfortable with myself in order to, um, I don't even know how to put it, but (laughs) I'll jump in. I'll jump in. Um,
0: So I will say the past year and a half has been incredibly just confusing because we, and when I say we, I'm talking about myself, my dad, and my mom, we started getting phone calls from Jake, Rachel's husband kind of expressing concerns with Rachel and her um, drinking the amount that she's drinking or when she's drinking. And so we, didn't really know what was going on because we were just getting pieces of the story. We weren't getting the whole story. And there were times when we would talk to Rachel and two hours later, we were getting a phone call from Jake and we were just like, well, we just talked to her. Like, what the heck could have happened so quickly? And so there was, at that time, there was a, a, also a lot of blame being placed on Jake, to be honest, Um, because we didn't really understand. We didn't think that he had the best intentions. We didn't think that he had Rachel's best interests at heart. And that, we, and we also didn't think that he was creating a healthy living situation for Rachel, for Evan and for himself. So we were placing a lot of blame on him. And then I started to talk to my dad a little bit more about how I feel like some of this could have been, it, I felt like Rachel's inner child needed to be healed. And I think that that's still something that she needs to pursue. I think that a lot of, a lot of the reason for why she is acting out is just because of unresolved Mm -hmm. trauma from Mm -hmm. when we were young. So I, I do carry with me and I will add the caveat that Kristen and I have talked about this whole strengths finder test. And responsibility is one of my top like five strengths, which brings me to say that I feel a sense of responsibility for why Rachel is acting out a little bit, because of some of the mean things or, you know, excluding her or just, some of our negative interactions I take responsibility for, and I know it's not completely my fault. I know it has the the situation is very complicated, but I do carry a little bit of that with me. And so the, it's it's just been a very stressful year and a half because you don't know what to say. you don't know what to do. It's kind of like you want to fix the situation. But at the end of the day, it's the, that person needs to make decisions for themselves. Like, you can't go in and rescue somebody. We, we tried that. We were just like, Rachel, why don't you, you know, take some a leave of absence from work, go down to Florida. We can, you know, we'll pay for you to do a treatment, um, an inpatient treatment facility. You have our support. You just need to, like, do it. But that just was not really working. So at the end of the day, we just realized that we need to leave the decision up to her. And that has been kind of difficult to kind of take that step back and hope that she'll make the right decision. But I mean, I feel like since she's changed her job, the the past few months has been relatively smooth Mm -hmm. and she has definitely found a special place in dealing with her garden. I feel like that has kind of been therapeutic for her. So I'm hoping that like she continues to find healthy ways to kind of cope with any sort of negative emotions or insecurities that she is dealing with.
1: Thanks for sharing that Ariel. I'm sure for you, it had to be your own process of learning to understand that there's your sphere of influence is only so big Mm -hmm. and you have to allow Rachel to Mm -hmm. make the decisions Mm -hmm. around her life. Mm -hmm. Rachel, I'm sure, you know, that's like a tough thing to be dealing with and especially to being far away from your family while Mm -hmm. dealing with such a tough challenge. So I guess my question for the two of you is what role has your sisterhood played in that? Like I'm sure it's been hard, but what about it has been a positive and what about it has been a negative and how are you navigating around that?
2: Well, just knowing that I could talk to her, like if I have messed up, I, I know I can talk to her and she could put me back on the path without making myself without beating me up about it. Because everyone knows like the Journey of like it's it's not a one two three process. It's, it's you're gonna you're gonna fail. You're gonna fall off the, the wagon, as Zaddy says. You're gonna have times where you mess up. But the the point is, like, you have to just pick yourself up and and move forward instead of beating myself up. Because if I continue to do that, I go right back on that circle again. You know. So being able to talk to her about if I do feel like I want to drink, or if I do feel like, or if I have messed up, I know I can talk to her without making me feel too bad about myself Mm -hmm. but making me feel bad enough where i want to like get it together
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think it's still something that i am still trying to navigate i haven't quite found a resolution for myself because like i said i still carry a little bit of guilt and i still feel a sense of responsibility and i do still have a desire i've always been like a fixer or a saver and i and of course, I want to protect my sister. I want what's best for her. So that has been, it's its its hard to kind of step back and allow her to kind of take the reins of her own life and do what she feels is best. Because ultimately, we're, we're going to make decisions for us based off of what we think is best for ourselves. Um, so I ha- just have to kind of put that faith in her to do what's best. And that is, it's a challenge, especially when you have, it's kind of like trying to project your views on somebody else, and that's just not fair. You have to allow them to live their lives for themselves.
1: And then Kiva and Rachel, has there like when you face like any moment or situation that makes it hard for the for the sisterhood? uh, Do you have any tips on how you try to overcome that and kind of push past it? It's Kiva and Rachel. Kiva Kiva and Kristen.
3: (laughs) I guess the biggest challenge. Well. The biggest challenge I believe for Kristen and I, and I guess the biggest challenge for me is I will say like my relationships with, with my, like my boyfriends, I've never been the, I haven't, I've never been the person to pick the correct ones. I've always picked the ones who pretty much got me. No, I won't say they got me into it, but I chose to do things that were exciting to me because back then I was like adventurous and I wanted the excitement, especially living with my Jamaican parents who kind of sheltered me a little bit. I wanted to like feel things and do things differently, but never chose the ones that were right. And from when I was 16 years old, then I had a break from that and you thought that I was like over it, but then I came back full circle in my late twenties. And um, picked up, you know, bad situations again that I will say worried my sister, worried my friends and probably worried my parents as well and it wasn't just like okay one it was like situation after situation after situation where they probably believe that I might not survive it I mean they call me the luckiest person ever in the world because I do get through these I want to say unscathed but not really I, I still have all the emotional trauma and scars from everything I've been through but because I guess how I portray things it's like you know okay I get I get kicked down but I get back up because I don't wanna stay down. Not saying it's healthy, (laughs) not saying that I don't need to (laughs) work out my shit, but more of the point of what's in me is that, you know I put myself in these situations, I'm going to get myself out and I'm not gonna let that affect me and how I'm moving on. But that was the biggest thing for Kristen, especially my last relationship. So this was a relationship that I was in when I was a teenager. And it was a bad situation. Like, we met when I was 15 years old. He was, you know, for lack of a better word, thug. And I hate to say thug, but, I mean, bad boys. I like bad boys, you know. Good <laughs> girls like bad boys. So I liked bad boys. He gave me that, um, that street life experience that I didn't have, like, being in the house. So I got to learn a lot of things that I didn't know. But... He was three years older than me. He didn't graduate from high school. He didn't go to college. He wasn't really doing anything. He had like a record, things like that. But I was in love. So I didn't care nothing about that part. <laughs> my parents tried to give me away from it, but I didn't care nothing about that. And then he got me pregnant. So that's like a big thing. And you know, so I ran track. So for my parents or for my mom, she's like, okay, you're on this track. To getting scholarships to go to school, like you can't let this deter you. Now we don't like him. I remember my dad found out he didn't probably talk to me for like six It was, it was a long time. Like he barely, he really, let me not six months, maybe I'll say three months, but it was something that really deeply disappointed him. But it was a lot of things. It was like, it was things after things because I was just turning into this person that they didn't like. And I was causing conflicts between my parents and their relationships. So, this was like the, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back. Like, not only are you doing all this stuff, you have the nerve to get pregnant. But, yeah, they it got me through it. Like, I don't, I know, Kristen, I know you knew about that when I was seventeen, but I knew Chris about knew it us.
4: way after it happened. It so when she got pregnant, I think everyone shielded me from it, so I didn't know that it happened. It happened. I mean, I would, you know, not to interject, but it's just one of the biggest things that cause the stress on our relationship is because of the boyfriends. Mm-hmm. To be honest, like growing up, she was into boys, like she boys. was boy crazy. And so that also, I think at another layer, is I'm not really interested in hanging out with my sister. And I it wasn't until one of your boyfriends that actually was very family oriented and was kind of like, why don't you hang out with your sister? I mean, this is, mm-hmm. I was older, I was like 17, 18 like, mm-hmm. I feel like that's the hard part for me. It kind of took you being in a relationship with this type of dude who could teach you the value of your family, your relationship for you to like spend a lot of time with me. At mm-hmm. 17 or 18, we spent a, a way more time together, hung out a lot, would go to like movies together. Because mm-hmm. prior to that, every time my sister would have a boyfriend, like, I mean, literally it was like, oh, I don't really want to hang out with her. And You're so- right. You know, and it got to the point, I don't remember when I said it, but I do remember saying like, it's after 17, 18, it was like, every time you get a boyfriend, all of a sudden, you don't want to talk to me or hang out with me. Mm -hmm. And that's frustrating Mm -hmm. because you can still, you know, hang out with me even with a boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And so that, but then the other part is just with the type of guys too, you know, part of it Mm -hmm. is just you're praying like, okay, if she meets a guy, hopefully he's a decent guy because i we notice like, oh, Kiva, when is a decent guy? Like her life is okay, but when you're dealing with a dude that's not any good, decent. it causes like a whole bunch of problems. There are periods, and I, I mean, Ariel and I went to school together, and that two-year period, I would talk to Ariel about like, oh, like I haven't talked to my sister when I go home. You know, we barely see each other. She don't come home. I don't see her. Every time I see her, she's drunk. She high. Literally for two years, I hadn't seen my sister sober. I couldn't say anything about it because I knew that if I was like, Kiva, you drinking all the time, it's just like, oh, you're being judgmental. And I was like, I'm going to bring it up. I'm going to even make a, a rough you know, relationship even rockier. Like It will even cut down that, um, well, not cut down, but break down that communication even more. You know, I understand what it feels like to worry about your sister and what's going on because Kiva's not joking when she said life-threatening. You know, there's some people alive in this world because their parents pray for them. I legit feel that way, and I'm not exaggerating. It's just the last boyfriend, the one that passed. I don't know how much to. I'll, I'll
3: get to that part because it but, was like more before them that piece. But just as she said, yes, it's just the bad decisions that you make and the people that you bring into your life. So even before the last one who passed away, there was one before him that was, I would say, the cause. Oh, yeah, because just like Rachel said, well, to an extent, like all he did was like drink. That's all he did was drink. And we we happened to live together or he happened to live with me because he asked to stay for a weekend and never left. But anyway, ain't the point. (laughs) (laughs) And then two years later or whatever. But (laughs) think about this. I... Kind of, I felt like I lived that straight and narrow for so long. So now that I've done the things I'm supposed to do, graduated from, got my master's, got my job, got my place, I'm going to, you know, go out there and just have fun. But it was too much fun. It was just too much because he was a bona fide alcoholic. Like, literally, to this day, he's still an alcoholic. And even though he was fun, he was very charismatic. And, you know, we did have fun. All we did, literally, is drink, like it was to the point where it affected my job. So like literally I'll go teach, come home, drink until I pass out and then try to get up the next day and do that. So between drinking and smoking, just high all day, that's all I did for at least like two years of my life before, again, got into another precarious situation, not by my doing, but me allowing where, since he was living with me and he had like alcohol and then you have like drugs or whatever, he would like leave it out for people to see and then um somebody came and robbed him. I was I happened to not be home. Then that was kind of like my final straw. I'm like I can't I don't want to die and so I kind of kicked them out. But then like 2 weeks later they came back. Broke into my house and stole all my stuff, everything. All my TV, everything. They took everything from me. And that kind of that opened my eyes so I stopped dealing with him and then I started being better. <laughs> so some things just got to be done with it. Like you don't want to bring back mm-hmm. that negativity in your life and you got to, to, to be away. So, you know, I left that situation. Then maybe a year later, got pregnant with Cameron. So that kind of changed my life too as well with Cameron. And then <laughs> five months in, Cameron's five months, years old. And the boyfriend from when I was 16 got me pregnant magically popped back up on Facebook and this is like what 15 to 18 years later like Mm -hmm. he just comes back so you're hoping that okay 15 years pass he's a different person so he come back into my life and we kind of get reacquainted and everything's pretty good in the beginning until it's not so this he's like on drugs and I'm not saying like drugs like you know he's smoking weed nothing like minor like that but like he's doing he was smoking that What's it called the the fake weed that changes your personality? Mm-hmm. Um, that makes
2: people eat people.
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that 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 synthetic weed. Yes, he was doing that because he was on parole, so he couldn't do the other things. But then it just got out of control. Where he was just uh, he was just smoking. I don't know. If he was doing heroin. He was doing crack. I don't know. He was doing every drug you could possibly think of that alters personality. And I didn't really know. That he was doing all that because i'm not like the most street smart person like i'm not i don't know anything about i don't do drugs besides you know <laughs> but i didn't do all those hardcore drugs nothing like that so i don't know what it looks like i don't know how it, i don't know any of those things so it just to the point where he was he was on drugs so bad that he you know we were he we were living together at this point and he was stealing from me to feed his drug habit and then he was paranoid because he had other mental issues. And it got to the point where he was abusive. So he was um hitting me. And um, like I will be sleeping in the middle of the night. I don't know if he thought that I made noises during the night. So I was having dreams by other dudes, and he just woke me up choking me. Keep it. I don't know. I was scared. I was scared for my life. And i never tell anybody this. I know talking about this kind of helps. Other people not put themselves in situations like this, but I was—I wanted to get out so bad, and I was so scared to get out the situation because not only I brought him into it with my daughter, and then he knew where my parents lived. So I was scared that he was so unstable, he would do something to my parents' house. I don't know. He could have put it on fire, or whatever. His whole family didn't really want to deal with him anymore, and I did everything. I did everything. I felt like the worst person in the world. I was a snitch. I did everything to get him locked up until like the last day before the last final stroke, we got locked up. I don't know, we got into an argument or something like that. And I was trying to ignore all the things he was telling me. And then he was supposed to leave and he was reaching to pick up Cameron. And Cameron was like two. So I was trying to shield her and I picked her up and he punched me in my face like twice with Cameron in my arms. So I had to like run from him, I had to hide with me, Cameron. I had to like... Find my phone, text my best friend to tell her like help. Now I want police call. So the police came, locked him up because he missed court. So I knew he had a warrant. So everything was like premeditated. I knew <laughs> that he would go to jail, and he went to jail. So that was one thing. And I felt like <sighs> I don't know. Even to this day, I still feel bad because I knew he had a problem, and instead of like doing something earlier to maybe help myself get out of it and help him i kind of was let it go and then he went to jail and then i had to um appear in court for the assault charges so i saw him and then like the, the day that i saw him in court the next like that night he called me Cause he got transferred to another jail and he talked to me he like i'm so sorry for everything i did and i was like okay that's fine just make sure you get help and then the very next day later they let him out of jail and he got heroin shot it up and overdosed and died and that's banned and this is a person that i've known since i was 16. So, i mean and I, I'm, I'm just saying this story because yes i was scared for my life and i know i'm damaged <laughs> from that piece but I just wish I was stronger enough to get out of it and, like, do something about it. So maybe he wouldn't be dead right now. So that's my story for everybody. So you can sit there and be like, okay, it won't happen to you. But it can happen to anybody. So it can you, I mean, Happens it
1: can,
4: to everybody. it can happen mm-hmm. to anybody right. and it also is very hard to leave those situations mm-hmm. and it's one of those things that it starts off good in the beginning because obviously if it wasn't good in the beginning you wouldn't stay and then the switch happens and then when the switch happens you i mean this person has access to you so you don't know how, it, it's mm-hmm. not easy to leave and so it's a hard thing to navigate and i'm not gonna lie there were times it did cross my mind if he did do stuff but in my mind, I was like, okay, well, if it's that bad, then, you know, if it gets bad, she'll tell me. And I think that was kind of the hard part afterwards where it's like, okay, well, maybe, you know, you told me, but I don't know, like, how down the line. It's hard.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: It's rough. I don't, I don't, I didn't know enough about the situation. I also knew that, like, if my sister's giving me information. It's not everything. But I don't want to set it up that our line of communication is completely gone because if something does happen, then I don't have a line of communication. And like the only thing I'm really concerned about is being making sure that Kiva's OK and making sure that Kiva has someone to call. And so I know in that situation, when it all went down, it was just like, all right, you, you need to tell mommy and daddy and you need to go home. And Kiva didn't want to you know, tell my parents. And I understood why. I like a hundred percent knew what was going to happen if she did tell them. But you know what? Right now, you just need to be safe. And Kiva was not going to call my parents to be the ones lean on. Like the person she called after her friend was me, and I knew that if she didn't, if I—I I mean, I in my in my head, I'm like, I don't know who else she would have called. I'm happy she called. I, and this is where I like I understand where you are, Ariel. Whereas you have your sister and you want to protect her, and you want to save her, and you want to be there, and then you can't be there. And you're not alone, Kiva. I want to say you're not alone because you go through these things, but I go through it too with you. Like, if you're hurt, I'm hurt. It's not a solo thing. And I think the hard part of that, even the conversation, even afterwards, was like telling Kiva, like, you know, you know, you hurt, but everybody else hurt. We're not trying to judge you. Like, we're scared. And I think that's the hardest part. Like your whole family is scared. I'm scared. It hurts. And then you have to like manage your your own thing. In a certain way, you kind of have to detach just to make sure yeah. that they're okay. And it's like, I can't do, I can't make her do anything. I can't make her make these decisions. The only thing you can do is hope that she tells you enough to be like, all right, if she's going to be in the relationship, then what can she do to make herself safer? But then that, that, this is the thing I would just say, like with anybody, even if you have friends, people are going to do what they choose to do, but you can be there when they need you. And And that was the hardest part. And for the person like going through
3: it, it's so embarrassing because you sit there and you're like, you hear stories about people being abused and you're like, that's not going to happen to me. Or if it does, you know, I'll leave that person and you never think that you'll be that person in the situation Mm -hmm. that you're just continuously getting beat. But besides that, it's also to the fact, as Kristen said, like, I didn't want to tell my parents because I wasn't supposed to be in the situation. Like, they were so against it. They didn't want to have anything really to do with me. Like, they didn't even know for however long he lived with me, maybe a year or less, that he was living there with me. They didn't know until the end. So like, no, do I really want to go back and tell my parents? Because they are extremely insensitive. Well. Not my dad, but um, extremely insensitive to um anything that happened. So I mean no. I, I get it now. I understand now. Five years later, I understand. I mean, I'm crying because yes, it's still traumatic because you like damn, I really went through all that. But five years later, it's like you gotta realize that no, it wasn't your fault. Um, two, to be happy that you got out of it, survived unscathed. Um, be happy that, you know, bless Cameron's heart that she was too. So even though I still feel like it affected her to an extent, it she was too young to remember it, but so much. Um, even though you can tell it still affected her because she didn't like anybody yelling at me. She would get mad and like start saying stuff and, you know, but I think her right now, I don't think she totally remembers that at this age right now. But yeah just got to be thankful and to never be in put yourself in situations or like even try to be with people like that i'm not saying against people with mental disorders anything like that because you know that's real you need to help them but it's not for everybody and you can't (laughs) control that situation so the, the best help that you could possibly do is help them get help and then you know and and i i didn't understand that till after the fact so, I don't know, but that's my story, guys. She wrote a book, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> and to kind of piggyback off what you're saying about Cameron and her being at a young age, it's <laughs> crazy because in my um in my deepest parts of my drinking, I would I hold a lot of resentment and a lot of anger for a lot of stuff that Jake and I have been through. So mm-hmm. when you drink, you you become more emotional, things come out. So there've been plenty of times where I would yell at Jake and we would get into arguments and Evan would be around and now even if we talk kind of firmly to each other you could see it in in Evan's face where he gets scared and then Mm -hmm. he's like me mommy no stop yelling stop fighting you know or one time I remember I was drinking and then Evan looked at me he goes like mommy why are you sad Mm. like that and I he's way smarter than (laughs) than I think he is well I know he's smart but like they they register and they're so empathetic and they they realize more than we think mm-hmm. no matter how much shield them from it they pick mm-hmm. up on most they pick up on vibes they pick up on energy so there have been a lot of times when just like don't be sad mommy and that's when I'm drinking and getting to that point of you know I never pick the best guys either I've Ariel could tell you, I've, I've picked up the barrel every time just because, guess what? They're fun. You know, they're fun they to are be around. Fun. You know? <laughs> they they are fun to of, be around. A lot of trouble. And I remember um, the guy that I got pregnant by at, you know, 18, 19 years old, he was abusive um, physically and emotionally. And I remember plenty of times of me trying to leave and him throwing myself off the balcony, him stealing my car, him, you know, pushing me and choking me and, you know, you're not going anywhere, you know? And then uh, I remember when I brought my ex home, Ariel couldn't stand him, you know? And she hated every guy that I was ever with, you know?
4: Legit, I understand that too, because I hated almost all of his <laughs> boyfriends except probably one. <laughs> yeah, the one that was family-oriented. <laughs> yeah. It was like family-oriented. Yeah. But, so, I mean, it wasn't just family-oriented. It was just, you could tell the difference I could say everybody in our family just felt a lot better knowing her with him because we're like, all right, she's safer. But sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Rachel.
2: Sorry, Rachel. Go ahead. Go. Oh no. <laughs> but I was finished. just I was thinking back enough what you're saying. Just like the guys yeah. that we chose and we couldn't see it for ourselves, but it's like everybody else could see it plain as day, but we have like this blind, you know yeah. but
3: anxiety. for it, But I think also it stems from like insecurity too as well, because I just felt like I always, you know, dated um, due to weren't, for lack of better words to you, as smart as me. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, like, I, I wanted to be, I wanted them to look up to me like, oh my God, you're so smart. And, you know, or be that different type of person than they're used to. But it's always people who you had to bring up, like always dealt with like broke people like why do I have to support you like why do I (laughs) like what are you doing for me it's like that was always what I got you know probably up until recently you know where that kind of changed around but I I definitely think it was about insecurity and probably thinking that we didn't deserve better and that Mm -hmm. took a lot of courage within me to know that okay dad like you deserve somebody who's better you deserve somebody who's on your level you deserve somebody who and compete with you. You deserve somebody mm-hmm. who appreciates your smartness, encourage you to be a better person. And if it wasn't for that person, not saying that we didn't have our own our other issues too, but if it wasn't for that person <laughs> that I met, <laughs> you know, right after Kenan, I don't even think I'll be where I am right now because I'm a totally different person than I was before. You know, a, a calmer mom, a better mother, a better teacher, mm-hmm. better person, because you know, you found out what you deserve and you can actually find that piece. But uh, yeah, Rachel, I de- definitely think it deals with insecurity. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. fun. It's fun. But like when we can consi- say when we consistently do it over and over again, like yeah. don't learn our lesson for the first time. <laughs> like, it can't be nothing but insecurity after that. Like, OK, you can't
2: do better. <laughs> so. What's that thing? Um, you're going to keep getting the same lesson in life until you you learn from it. Exactly. So you're going to keep getting the same, it's just, it's the same situation, <laughs> just has a different mask. Exactly. Yep. exactly. Yep. Exactly. You're right. You know. Thanks for
0: tuning into another episode of Breadfruit and Biscuits. That wraps up part two of our three-part series on sisterhood with Kiva and Rachel. We know that this was a bit of a heavy episode, but we hope that this conversation helps any of you who might be going through something similar to feel a little less alone and to feel inspired to seek support. Kiva and Rachel, again, we thank you so much for your time and your transparency during our conversation. We love you both to pieces and we admire your bravery for sharing your stories. Please be sure to stay tuned for the last part of our sisterhood series where we talk about Kiva and Rachel's experience a little bit deeper, but from our perspectives as sisters. If you or someone you care about is struggling with substance abuse, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Administration has a national helpline that can provide you with information and referrals to local treatment facilities, support groups, and community based organizations. You can reach them 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year at 1 800 622 4357. Again, that number is 1 800 622 4357. You all, please be encouraged. Please take care of yourselves and each other as best as you can.